Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The Warriors may have won the NBA Finals, but the Stanley Cup is still up for grabs. Colorado and Tampa are dueling it out for hockey's ultimate prize. BetOnline has you covered with all of the props, odds, parlays, and lines for the rest of hockey's playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is June 22nd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever you may be listening. We were planning originally today to play the first part, or I guess half of the first part of our first episode of our docuseries that I'm making about the San Antonio Spurs and Kawhi Leonard and the end of the Spurs dynasty for SB Nation's Pounding the Rock. I spent about four hours this weekend making the first episode. It's going to be a five-part series. We talked about it a little bit on Monday. That was originally the plan just because I needed something to fill in for content in between some guest interviews this week. And for the next five weeks, starting next Wednesday, This podcast feed is going to have that five-part podcast be the Wednesday episode every single week. So every Wednesday, a new episode's going to drop. It's going to drop on this feed. It's going to have its own podcast feed and all that stuff. So originally, today was going to be a test run for that podcast. And then we got the news about Deshaun Watson and his attorneys reaching a settlement with 20 of the 24 women who were filing lawsuits against him, or filing civil lawsuits against him, and we have a full detailed breakdown of that coming up today on the podcast. So I'm just going to start talking about this, see how far along we go, and see what we have time for at the end of this podcast. So the first and foremost, as we always do when we talk about the Deshaun Watson case, Break this down into three parts. We're going to break down the human aspects of this story, and we're going to talk about the real victims and real cases around this and humanize the people who are actually being victimized by this quarterback. Then we'll talk about the legal part, which, based on today's revelations, is a major part of this story. When we did, when two weeks ago today we did the story about uh, Deshaun Watson 
After the New York Times story by Jenny Vrentas was released, in which we had now the confirmation that Deshaun Watson had seen over 60 massage therapists in the span of 17 months, which goes against what he gave in his original deposition when he said he had met no more than 40 uh, people within his entire four-year NFL career, and you had the Texans' potential involvement or negligence and uh, a daycare spa and more women telling their stories who weren't filing lawsuits. It was a very humanizing aspect to the story, and there was less of a legal development as a result of it. Now we know that there was more of a legal development to that story than we knew at the time, which we'll, we'll get into later. And then at the very end, we'll talk about the football side of this and the accountability measure that the NFL has created. Every time we've talked about this story, it's been that same structure, and I've found that it's the most important way to tackle a sports story of a generation where we first humanize and, and really talk about the morals and ethics of this situation before we talk about the legal side and then we talk about the football side. But before we get to any of those three, let's start off by just reading the details that came out on Tuesday. This is courtesy of Sarah Barship of ESPN with the details and the first reporting around this. Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has settled all but four of the lawsuits filed against him, attorney Tony Busby said in a statement Tuesday. Since March 16, 2021, 25 lawsuits have been filed against Watson, alleging sexual assault and other inappropriate behavior during massage sessions. Of those 25, one was dropped by the plaintiff when the judge ruled her petition had to be amended with her name. The other 20, Busby said, have been settled. We are working through the paperwork related to those settlements, Busby said in a statement. Quote, once we have done so, those particular cases will be dismissed. The terms and amounts of those settlements are confidential. We won't comment further on the settlements or those cases. Busby noted that Ashley Solis, the first woman to file a lawsuit against Watson and the first to speak publicly and identify herself as a plaintiff, is not one of the 20 women to settle. Quote, Ashley Solis is one of the heroes of this story. Her case has not settled, and thus her story and that of the other three brave women will continue. I look forward to trying these cases in due course, consistent with the other docket obligations and the court's schedule, he said. This is me ad-libbing in a detail from before. Those four cases are going to be processed sometime in 2023, when Tony Busby mentions the court schedule and due course 2023 is when the the date for court has been scheduled. Back to the story. Although two grand juries in Texas declined to pursue criminal charges against Watson earlier this year, the NFL is investigating whether he violated its code of conduct, and the league interviewed the quarterback in person last month as part of its investigation. At the league's spring meeting, Commissioner Roger Goodell said that he thought the NFL was nearing the end of its investigation, but that he couldn't give a timeline for when a ruling might be made. NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy said Tuesday that, quote, Today's development has no impact on the collectively bargained disciplinary process. Busby said in his statement that without Solis's courage and willingness to come forward, the NFL wouldn't currently be contemplating discipline. There would be no examination of how teams might knowingly or unknowingly enable certain behavior. Sports teams wouldn't be reviewing their personal screening processes, and this important story wouldn't have dominated the sports headline for more than a year. That's a direct quote by Busby. The Houston Texans traded Watson to the Browns in March in exchange for a package that included three first-round draft picks after the first grand jury announced it would not indict Watson on criminal charges. 
Last week, Watson said in his news conference that he has no regrets about any of his actions, but admitted that he does regret the impact the allegations have had on the people around him. So let's talk about this from the humanizing standpoint. And my first instinct when I was gathering thoughts and reading about this, because the only stories I've read were the, the ESPN one and Yahoo Sports and USA Today and stories that are just reporting the details of the settlement today. I haven't gone on social media. I haven't watched the reactions of other news outlets or sports news outlets talking about the settlement. I haven't read comment sections on say Bleacher Report or some, I guess that's technically a social media but what I instinctively gauged is people are going to use this settlement as a way to discredit the allegations of these women and I don't know that this is something that's happened I just have inferred based on the way that me, uh, many men have reacted to this story, I'm not going to say all men, but the way that many men have reacted to this story, people with a lot of privilege around these situations have reacted to this story, that I inferred people would look at that as a way to discredit the allegations against Watson. And as I thought about it more, I started to think that that's not really the majority viewpoint in this case. Yes, we kind of moved on and focused on the trade side of Watson, which I refused to focus in on, except for when we absolutely had to talk about him getting traded, and we refused to talk about it from a football X's and O's trade value standpoint. But other than that, like we kind of moved past that from the, the, the main sources of football news being NFL media partners, ESPN. I've complained before, or at least discussed before. It's a complaint for me. It might not be a complaint for other people that ESPN and NFL Network are the main sources of football news and information, and therefore it is going to be NFL propaganda. Obviously, NFL Network is NFL propaganda. ESPN has a conflict of interest, and so therefore they're going to talk about the Deshaun Watson trade from an X's and O's standpoint, whereas other more independent news outlets were not going to do so in such a case. And so instinctively I thought of this is going to be used in such a way to discredit and I'm not actually sure that that's the case from the very beginning this was something that was going to happen I thought originally when we were first learning about this case and really diving into this story I thought that it was going to be settled within months of going public and then criminal charges were filed against him and there was not a settlement that was engaged in from the attorneys and Watson missed all of 2021 even though he wasn't technically on the exempt list and it dragged out for a year longer than I thought it would but the timeline remained relatively similar and we got to hear these in-depth stories from reporting done by Sports Illustrated and we talked about the real sports with Bryant Gumbel's story last week and the press conference that we've played over and over with Ashley Solis and USA Today doing really great reporting around this. We've seen details of horrific humanizing accounts of women not just being put in positions where they feel they're, they're 
threatened and feel like they are unsafe, but also situations that are traumatic after the fact. The woman describing how she left left massage therapy months after this incident happened and still battles depression and, and people blaming themselves and fight, flight, or freeze instincts and the, and the trauma that this type of situation can cause. And hearing those stories and the similar repeated behavioral pattern of Deshaun Watson helped us better understand how I mean, it helped me better understand. I hope it helped a lot of sports fans at large understand how we don't treat women well in professional settings. And this has been a problem that's existed for years. The Me Too movement beginning in 2017 brought up a lot of this stuff to people who in the past knew that it was happening, but it was kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod situation. And a lot of cultural cultural and social change came as a result of this and some legal protections, but overwhelmingly what's happened in the aftermath of the Me Too movement has been a social and cultural shift. And I think humanizing stories like this lead to us looking at this like this needs to be held accountable. We need to find some measure of accountability for these situations. And as we go through this story, we'll start moving into the NFL's case. And Hearing Ashley Solis's story at the original press conference, and then that inspiring dozens of other women to come forward, not just in filing lawsuits, also telling stories to reporters, like especially Jenny Vrentas originally in Sports Illustrated. We've talked about the story of the Jane Doe, who was telling the story to uh, to Jenny Vrentas. Jenny Vrentas talked to about two or three more people who we'd never heard from before, who had also had similar types of experiences with Watson and weren't filing lawsuits against Deshaun. Uh, Kyla Hayes went on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel and talked about her experiences of him reaching out on Instagram and engaging in, well, I mean, basically jizzing all over the place, not, you know, obviously the appropriate terms there, but jizzing all over and having his hand, pl- placing people's hands in inappropriate places and all kinds of gross behavior that really humanizes how in a professional setting someone could be a victim and be vulnerable to a powerful per and be silenced by the fear of retribution by a powerful man who has has power to disrupt business as Deshaun Watson said on the one story that I remember he said I have a career and just like you have your business I we wouldn't want to ruin that now would we it's not exactly direct quote I don't remember the exact quote but it's basically like I have a reputation just like your business we wouldn't want anything to mess that up and like threatening engaging materials and getting NDAs from the Houston Texans and all kinds of details that we now know that make this story feel incredibly humanizing and clamor for some measure of accountability and that brings us to what happened today financial penalty can be a measure of accountability especially when it's incredibly difficult to prosecute these cases in the eyes of the state of Texas, Deshaun Watson did not commit a crime that could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Therefore, there was no accountability brought in terms of Deshaun Watson losing his freedoms. There are other measures of accountability, such as inability to earn money. We talked about this a lot with, as a society at large, but we talked about this in the aftermath of the Kevin Spacey allegations. We talked about this with Bill Cosby getting out of jail on a technicality and going on a comedy tour since getting out of jail and writing a book. Louis C.K., similar situation. He he posted a, a new comedy special straight to his audience. You pay $10, you get this comedy special. And preventing someone from being able to earn money is potentially a form of accountability. And in this case, financial penalty can be a measure 
of accountability. It's not perfect. It's difficult to figure out. We've known from the very beginning that civil settlements are difficult because it requires nuanced conversation about the fact that sometimes it's not about what the money is. It's what the money represents. Sometimes it is what the money is. Like, And I know this is convoluted and complicated in the way I'm describing it, but money can represent some measure of closure. And for people who, again, haven't been front-facing in this, like Ashley Solis, who's a name that we all know, a, a person like Kyla Hayes, who I don't know if she settled or not, it was, it was unknown in the details, if you're a person who is a victim and you are also nameless in this situation, the financial settlement to go away can be something that brings closure and brings value and is worth coming forward and going through the legal process for to create some measure of accountability. Ultimately, we could think of the NFL as being an accountability measure of Watson doesn't get to play quarterback for two years, yet in the grand scheme of things, what it ultimately is is Deshaun Watson's inability to make money. Now, last year, he got paid all $38 million to not play for the Houston Texans, and if he gets suspended this year by the NFL's conduct policy, he will only lose $2 million. So the only punishment he's serving is losing two years of his career. It's why I think the NFL originally, before hearing of the settlement today, originally thinking that the NFL would not let him get away with it. And the NFL would exempt list him this year and then suspend him next year. That would be hopefully the situation that would play out since I don't know what's right or what's wrong in terms of punishments in these regards. It just looks to be that the NFL is going to suspend one season and there's going to be an appeal. It's right or wrong. Some people will say it's too strict. Some people will say it's too lenient. I'm not a moral arbiter on these situations. We've talked about this all before. It just appears that the NFL is going to give a one-year suspension and Deshaun Watson is going to accept it and he's going to lose a second year of his career or a third year of his career and all of it's going to pass, et cetera, et cetera. And Losing money can be a form of accountability. Receiving compensation can be a form of accountability. It's not the perfect measure of accountability, yet sometimes it's the best we can do, especially when we're talking about a rich and powerful person like Deshaun Watson. Whatever settlement it was, and we know from detailed reports that originally uh, back in October when Stephen Ross and the Dolphins were trying to trade for Deshaun Watson, they offered... They offered $100,000 per person to settle, and the Dolphins required all 23 to settle in order for them to make the trade, and they only got 19 people to settle. And I guess this is now moving into the legal side of it as well. It's blending morals and ethics into the legal conversation now, so I just want to acknowledge that part in talking about what money represents and what accountability can represent for victims in this case. It's now kind of blending into the legal conversation. We know back in or, uh, October of 2021 that it was offered a, a thing this is from Mike Florio. It is a hundred it was a hundred thousand dollars per victim and 19 people out of the 23 were willing to settle. Now, 23 became 22, and then two more filed lawsuits within the last, I think it was two weeks or three weeks, right around the timeline of when the New York Times story came out two weeks ago. So I guess within the last month, there have been two more lawsuits that were added to this, um, to from the 23 down to 22 up to 24. And at the time, 19 of the 22 were willing to settle. And now today, 20 of the 24 end up settling. 
if it's for around the same $100,000 that 19 were willing to settle for back in 2021, add it all up, it's about $2 million. $2 million of, of damages and the hit to Deshaun Watson's reputation. Well, Deshaun Watson made $38 million not playing football last year. At the same time, $2 million is some measure of compensation and settlement for such a situation. It would be a, a rather unprecedented one for any star athlete or really any famous person as a measure of accountability. Obviously, Harvey Weinstein's entire company went under and they had to pay irreparable damages to, to victims as well. Just from, a, from an individual, it would be a measure of unprecedented settlement for such cases where no criminal charges were brought. And so this is... A difficult part is like $2 million is not chump change in, in the regards to Deshaun Watson. He's been rewarded handsomely by the Cleveland Browns because he's very, very good at throwing a football. And this is the convoluted, complicated part of like, it is an unprecedented level settlement. And to some people, it will feel like not enough. For these women, they decided it was enough to settle out of court. And I if that's where the financial damages are, are there and it seems reasonable... I think that who are we to judge such a situation if that is the financial damages that they felt were, were fair compensation and were willing to dismiss the lawsuits and allow everyone to move on or at least allow Deshaun Watson and themselves to move on from this situation, then that's the decision that the, the women made in regards to, to settling. And maybe in order to incentivize a settlement, they potentially got more money out of it. We, we won't know the details until reporting really digs into it and, and gets into it because obviously there was a, a non-disclosure agreement about how much money was allowed to be settled. And so the reason I bring up it could be more than what it was in October of 2020 is the fact that Deshaun Watson's legal team had an incentive to settle after, within the last month, two more lawsuits were brought against Deshaun Watson and the New York Times story was released two weeks ago. Settlement talks had not been engaged in at the time of the Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel story coming out, which I assume the interview came out in May, or the interviews were conducted in May. It came out the last week of May, which was now close to four weeks ago that that, that story ran with Real Sports. And after that fact, sometime between then and now, they re-engaged in settlement talks. And it can't be a coincidence that after the, the New York Times story runs that is a damning indictment of Deshaun Watson with new details and new stories from people who haven't sued Watson and it's piecing a lot of the stuff together, it's not a coincidence that when those come out, you have a settlement two weeks later. Because the settlement will move along the NFL's timeline. The, the Watson legal team can go to the NFL and say, look, we have now only four pending, I mean, it's crazy to say that, but we only have four pending civil suits instead of 24. It's much less egregious number. You can go ahead and hand out the penalty now. We can move along with our case. No one's going to bring charges forward against him. All of that and a bag of peanuts for the legal team. It's interesting how they have the incentive to settle. They speed up the settlement talks and perhaps by incentivizing it with more money, they get 20 of the 24 settlements, similar ratio to the 19 of 23 that were willing to settle back in 
2021, in October 2021, which is roughly nine months ago now, you get you, you get settlements on almost all of the cases that were willing to settle back then and, and dismiss the lawsuits. So we know that detail. This was an inevitable end to the case. It seemed like things were going to go until 2023 because neither side seemed to be engaging in settlement talks. For whatever the reasons may be, Tony Busby and uh, the women looked at this situation and whether whatever legal advice they may have gotten outside of Tony Busby as well, looked at the offer that was on the table and said, this is probably the best offer we are going to get based on what we are suing Deshaun Watson for. And as gross as that may end up seeming, this is a bit of a standard practice. I'd love to get Drew Davenport back on to, to talk about the legalese of the settlement as well. And this is something that we find pretty common is like you're asking for this the the people are claiming that there's no merit to it they find a settlement point to make it go away this happens all the time in 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 the court of law it was something that again i said last year i thought this was the inevitable conclusion to this story was there was going to be a settlement for these women i just didn't think it would take close to 15 months for that to happen because there is no precedent for such a case taking 15 months there's also no precedent for the levels of allegations that have been brought against Deshaun Watson and so they the process speeds up you get whatever compensation and accountability this is again it would be really really good to know the details I know that there's a a non-disclosure agreement but reported details end up coming out over time I remember when it was the the Colin Kaepernick lawsuit with the NFL they had a non-disclosure agreement and it was reported somewhere between like 15 to 20 million dollars was the settlement in damages and Kaepernick wasn't going to mention the NFL anymore in in blackball or using the phrase blackballing or the NFL wasn't going to mention Colin Kaepernick because of whatever legal protections there might be and you know reporting will hopefully in a high profile case with national media will end up revealing what the settlement was even if it's for some people and we can just get kind of a picture of what kind of accountability measure there was for Deshaun Watson now again we can do the morals and ethics conversation which will lead into the the football part of this conversation in a second and it it has a natural flow from here but in terms of the legal standpoint I don't know whether this strengthens the case of Ashley Solis and the four people who are still pursuing a lawsuit or if this diminishes it because there's going to be less of a national focus because it's it's totally understandable that when 20 of 24 people settle that's close to 83 percent of well no it is 83.3 percent of the people who have filed lawsuits people are going to look at that and say oh well the case is basically done the, the, you know, the, the, the lawsuits are not going to continue for most of these people. They're not going to give depositions at a trial. This is basically done. And I understand the point of that. It diminishes what this was all about in the first place. And at the same time, it's a natural, easy way to kind of process this at the same time. This was not about getting to a conclusion. I mean, for some people, maybe it was at the same time. I'm not, I don't know the deep details of this, but it's easy to focus on it and say, this is the conclusion. Settlement was the end game the whole time. This is the conclusion of the case. When four people are still filing lawsuits, and I don't know if the national media is going to disappear a little bit. And if this becomes now 
the the legal case the legal situation is case closed and now we can move on to the football part of the accountability system and whatever it might end up being you're going to see something like that happen and i don't know for right or for wrong if this is a, a disservice to the leader of the, the case ashley solis and the four people who still want their day in court and the the money doesn't represent justice more than it does actually making change or whatever their uh, feelings of, uh, I, I don't know these people at all i don't know what they feel would be a measure of accountability they just decided that money was not that form of accountability right now that's all that this means today. It doesn't mean that they don't care about the money or they care about some more higher some higher moral ground. I don't know these people. I just know that they are victims of sexual assault and, and in some cases sexual mis- sexual assault allegedly and sexual misconduct by Deshaun Watson and these victims want to have a measure of accountability brought upon Watson. That's all I know about these people. And all that it signifies today is that accountability for them wasn't a financial settlement today and that's totally reasonable and totally understandable i hope these cases continue to process and i hope it leads to deshaun watson being placed on the exempt list even if i know that that's probably not where this is going to end up going so i hope this strengthens their case in the fact that they aren't settling it's just it's more of an island when you're standing there i mean the 24 people are still behind them it's just the 24 people now looks like four has the appearance of four instead of 24 and that's not the best situation when you're trying to build a coalition and a cause of people and and yet at the very beginning ashley solis was willing to go forward as one person and one person became two which became 17 which became 22 which became 24 so and it became more than that too, because we've heard reporting from Jenny Vrantas with dozens, or not dozens, with with about four or five more people who have told personal accounts who aren't going public and aren't filing lawsuits. So you know, it it become the, the one became two, became four, became seventeen, became twenty two, became twenty three, became twenty four, and became close to thirty people. And you know, maybe maybe four looks a little less strong and united because it feels like those people are fading i don't think that this means like those people who filed lawsuits are just disappearing forever it just makes the it makes it so that national media is going to look away and that force that they had behind them to try and get some measure of accountability from a powerful person who had all of the resources in the world it just feels a little bit less and i hope that this strengthens their case i i genuinely don't know what's going to happen It just looks optically like this is going to, they're going to lose a lot of the thunder and the force that they had when it was a coalition of people. And when the coalition fragments a little bit, it just becomes less strong. And it's, it's already hard enough to try and get a measure of accountability from a rich and powerful person being protected by a $75 billion corporation and 13 teams were lining up to trade for him when he became available. So I hope this strengthens their legal case i don't know what it will mean for ashley solis and the four people who decided today that whatever financial settlement was on the table was not the form of accountability that they were looking for and that's all that it means in their standpoint today so now we can talk about this from the the nfl and the accountability standpoint that that we were talking about earlier because 
one of the things that I first thought about, and we were talking about this within the legal cases, the NFL will provide a measure of accountability by preventing him from pursuing his career for an extended period of time. Now, he got paid last season to not play. And if he gets suspended for this season, he only stands to lose $2 million because by being traded to Cleveland, he could structure his contract in such a way that the guaranteed dollars were all pushed up front and all secured for down the road. So this year, he doesn't face very many financial damages, but he could lose $30 plus million if he's suspended in 2023, which I guess is why I was thinking if this drags out into 2023, which we mentioned at the beginning, that's when the civil trials will go to court, then you will see that he'll be placed on the exempt list this year, and then he'll go into 2023 and get suspended, and hopefully it's a measure of accountability that leads to actually losing financial compensation other than just losing two years of your career. And to some people, losing two years of your career but still getting paid is something that feels like accountability or justice to them. Everyone's going to have their moral bars in different places. And I just think Deshaun Watson, the NFL, in the case of Deshaun Watson, they can let him get away with it or they can bring the hammer down. And I think what the Watson legal team is looking at now in the aftermath of more lawsuits being filed this last month and the New York Times story dropping two weeks ago, the settlement was reached like, okay, financial damages aside, it behooves Deshaun Watson to move this along, which by the way is what I thought the case was going to be when it was first filed in March of 2021. It was, okay, Watson's going to pay a lot of money to make this go away. And then it became totally unprecedented it became an unprecedented sports story of a generation there have never been this level of sexually predatory behavior with this many number of women in such a setting brought upon a star athlete for many other athletes this would damage their careers and they would not be allowed back and deshaun watson is star quarterback guy and he's going to be rewarded because he's powerful enough to 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 be at the NFL's beckoning. He's more he's more powerful than billion dollar corporations because of the impact he has on the football field. At least some of the billion dollar corporations, the 13 who were willing to line up and trade for him. And so Deshaun Watson is in a position where the accountability he's going to get from the NFL will all be based on what the NFL wants to give as a punishment. And again, we talked about this the last time. The NFL has only had a personal conduct policy since 2015. The NBA has only had a personal conduct policy since 2016. Hockey still does not have a personal conduct policy. It just doesn't exist. They kind of just make it up as they go with people who have like morals clauses in their contract, but no explicit personal conduct policy. And so the NFL can kind of make it up as they go and it's and nothing they're going to do is going to be correct because in this situation it's a he said she said but it's actually a he said she said she said she said she said she said she said all the way down to 24 she saids really up to 30 she saids if you count people who aren't in the the lawsuit but have still gone on record talking about their stories and you have Deshaun Watson 
standing to make exorbitant amounts of money in the NFL can create an accountability system based on that. And what Watson, I mean, we mentioned this a second ago, Watson's legal team is saying, let's move this case along. Let's speed up the process here. Let's get to a conclusion with the lawsuits. Let's get to the NFL's punishment. Let's let Deshaun move on and be the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. That's the point that this conversation is at is, hey, we have settled these. The, the civil suits are mostly gone now. Maybe we can pay more to make the other ones go away. We are going, we've made 20 of them go away. This is essentially closed. It's, you know, 83% closed at this point. Is that enough for you to hand down a punishment? And if you're the NFL, you can look at it and say, no, we're going to exempt list you and we're going to keep investigating. Or we're ready to hand out our only disciplinary chance we have and it behooves us to do it now because, oh, well, I guess the lawsuits are filed now. There's no further information to gather. I mean, again, in the report, they said the NFL um, investigation was not going to be impacted by the news of the settlement. I'll go um, see who, who had said that again. I'm trying to remember, but NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy said Tuesday, today's development has no impact on the collectively bargained disciplinary process. So maybe the Watson team points to this and says, hey, we've moved on in this case, the NFL, where's your punishment? Where's your punishment? Maybe it's a battle of public opinion now, whatever it might be. It doesn't behoove the NFL to move faster just because you have a settlement. And I hope the N- and again, the NFL could move faster. I mean, uh, Tony Busby and Ashley Solis talked about in the Real Sports with Brian Gumbel piece how the NFL was investigating because they felt like they had to. And they talked to them for a while, and then they just stopped cooperating because it felt like the NFL investigators had to do this job. And in some ways, the NFL is not a legal investigation team. They just are required to do these things as part of running a billion-dollar corporation you have to, and having a personal conduct policy. You have to have investigative arms for these cases. And it's not criminal investigation. It's just investigation based on the rules of the NFL rulebook and the NFL's personal conduct policy, which is not a legal standard, but it matters in handing down punishments within this weird space of football. And so it doesn't behoove them to move faster. And they could move faster if what Busby and Solis are saying is the case and the NFL wants to do the NFL is investigating because it feels it has to and the NFL feels the negative PR of this case outweighs letting it drag out and then making an informed decision based on all the information they could speed up the process this does change the incentive structure for the NFL to hand out a punishment if we see a punishment handed out for Watson in the next month I think that that's the NFL rushing into their decision. Now, even if the NFL gives a giant punishment, say it's an unprecedented level two-year punishment for Deshaun Watson, even if they do that, it will still feel rushed because of the timeline between it took 15 months for the um, settlement to be reached with 83% of the women, and you had tons of detailed reporting that came out in an NFL investigation that in, in an investigation where they only talked to Watson a month ago, these things can take long periods of time. And if you're the NFL, you only get one chance to get this right. Why would you rush into it? 
unless you feel obligated to do so. And this is the same point that I've been saying for the past few months, and it doesn't change now. The NFL can let Watson get away with this if they want to. Even if it's a quick punishment, the NFL can let him get away with this if they want to. It's all a matter of public relations punishment based on the personal conduct policy, which is arbitrary because if you talk to different people in this investigation, you're going to get different stories. And all of it is a matter of how do we feel about crimes against women and how do we feel about sexually predatory behavior and how do people in the NFL front offices and how do their fans and how do their executives and the owners who are setting this precedent of personal conduct against the players, how does everyone here feel about creepy behavior towards women? How does everyone feel about women in professional settings? And how does everyone feel about jizzing all over women in professional settings? That's what all of this is going to dumb down to. And the NFL can let Watson get away with it if they want to, or they can hand down some sort of punishment in due time and get this thing right like you have you it does not behoove them to move faster settlement or not and and this is something that's really complicated and really difficult because again they are not a legal bar the nfl is not a legal institution they have an investigation wing they are not a legal institution though and so all of this is going to be really, really complicated to hash out over the next few months. And maybe the Watson legal team is pointing to the NFL and, and trying to incentivize negative PR against the NFL to have them speed up the, the timeline. If we hear in the next month, hey, we settled. Where's the decision with the investigation? Where's the decision on the investigation? Where's Come on, NFL. Where's your investigation ruling? If that's the strategy that the Watson legal team takes, then we'll know they're trying to create enough negative PR around the NFL to speed up the NFL's decision because it benefits Watson to know his future as soon as possible now that he's settled 83% of these cases. And the NFL can let Watson get away with it. If they if they think that the, the blip of negative PR that's going to come from Tony Busby, if this is their legal strategy, I'm not certain what the legal strategy of Busby and company is. If I were to guess, I would say their next step is creating negative PR and pressuring the NFL to speed up a decision. Because strict punishment or not strict punishment, it benefits the Watson camp to give out the punishment as soon as possible regardless of what the punishment is going to be. It just benefits them to know the punishment now so that he doesn't have to go on the exempt list for this season. And the NFL, it benefits them to... It depends on how you view the incentive structure of the NFL. Does it benefit the NFL to make this go away as fast as possible? Or does it benefit the NFL to get this right? Or at least take your time to try and get it right and take time to update your personal conduct policies and your and look at the Houston Texans and say you were negligent in this case here's how you need to change this and here's a model for everyone else to learn and grow from this you can take the time or you can do short term fix and make it go away it all depends on what you feel the NFL the NFL's incentive structure is and by the way if you asked this question 10 years ago does the NFL prefer short-term fix or long-term sustainable, you know, figure out the details, change policies, change stuff like that? If you asked 10 years ago and, and, and pre, 
Me Too movement? I think you might get a different answer than you get today. I simply don't know. The NFL's actions over the next year or, or even the next eight months or even the next month itself, whenever they hand out a punishment, are going to dictate that more than what is going to dictate that more than like past precedent. I'm not sure which way it's going to go. The, sa- the thing I do know is that the NFL can let Watson get away with it or they can actually take the time to investigate this situation and bring down a punishment, regardless of what the punishment is. Like, maybe they look into it further, they they go on the exempt list, and then they suspend him for one year. So he gets paid this year, and then they suspend him next year. But then say they go into it right now and say, two-year suspension. They drop the news next week, two-year suspension for Deshaun Watson. Regardless of what the actual punishment is, it doesn't behoove the NFL to do it faster because if you do it faster, that benefits the Watson camp because it just creates an end to this situation. Once the NFL hands down the punishment, there is no more accountability measure left for Watson unless more people file lawsuits. And there's no accountability left after the fact. That is the final punishment. And maybe we learn something from this. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just go back to the same behaviors as before and there's no real correction within organizations like Tony Busby was talking about in that um, story at the very beginning where but thanks to the, the bravery and courage of Ashley Solis, the NFL's actually looking into changing their policies. I have no idea if the NFL's actually doing that or not. We won't get to see the, the results of that for years and years and years if we actually learned anything from it or if they go let's make this go away and hand out a strict punishment so that people aren't mad at us like whatever they choose they can let watson get away with it or they don't have to they can pretty much do whatever they want and it's going to be interesting to see from an organization standpoint the nfl as a whole not just you know each of the individual corporations the nfl as a whole whether they decide to take their time and build long-term sustainable fix or if they say up settlement up short-term fix up make this go away i'm interested to see which they choose i'm not sure exactly what they choose and like i said earlier my answer might have been different 10 years ago than it would have been today in in part because i would have been 11 years old but if you're talking about it in 2012 pre me too movement pre ray rice pre the nfl even having a personal conduct policy i think the answer might be a little different than it is today all in all the one thing that's still a a certainty whether you have a settlement or whether you don't have a settlement or whatever sort of conclusion legally you have here is the nfl has the power here do they let watson get away with it or do they not so that's going to be the full show here today. It actually ended up going to be a full-length podcast here and longer than normal. So thank you, everybody, for stopping in here to the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for your continued support. Leave a five-star review. Uh, leave a download or a follow or anything like that. Um, we got more episodes coming at you the rest of the week. I appreciate all of you and your continued support of this show. And... Um, This is about our 7th or 8th Deshaun Watson full-length podcast, and there's always new things to break down in this case. And I feel like I've really grown as a person by diving deep into this story, a sports story of a generation, as I've I've been calling it. So uh, thank you for stopping in, everybody. Uh, And let me know, actually, also, I almost forgot, every time we talk about this, let me know your thoughts, whether it's 
sending me an Instagram DM, leaving it in the in the review section of Apple Podcast, just sending an email. It's take it easy pod with two D's at gmail.com if you want to send in anything as well. Um, yeah, that that's what I have here. If you want to mention something about it, please do. So with that being said, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.